Man, I'm so glad you all are here today. We're going to have a wonderful time in God's Word. Um, Look with me in Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1. Now, last week we looked at the first vision. The way that Zechariah is divided up in the first six chapters, there are eight visions. All of these visions took place in one night. And they give us information that starts with the Babylonian captivity and goes all the way through the millennium. That's the information that we get in the book of Zechariah. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Last week, I had to skip over a bunch of stuff because of time and all of that. We're going to fill some of those things in on the Wednesday night Bible study. And I'm going to fill a little bit of it in this morning. But for time's sake, we're going to keep on going into this second vision. But before we get there, I want you to see a couple of things. So put your marker in Zechariah chapter 1. And go with me to Proverbs chapter 25. And look at verse 2, Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Lord, help us as we study your word today to search out some things that you have hidden in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a lot of Bible study today is very superficial, it's you read a few verses and then you talk about what this passage means to me, that kind of thing. God has given us such amazing information in his book. And what we're going to be doing through this Zechariah study is just finding the things that God has hidden in there. We are looking at this second vision and it's the vision of four horns and four carpenters, four horns and four carpenters. Now, there were only two carpenters, Karen and Richard. We're not talking about them. This is different than that. All right. So let's start reading in verse 14. So we're in Zechariah 1. And so we have, heard, we have read about that first vision, the vision of the man riding among the myrtle trees. Let's look at verse 14. The Bible says, So the angel that communed with me... Now let's start in verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts... How long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these three score and ten years? So this is Jesus Christ asking God the Father, when are you going to judge these nations? That's the question that's being asked. When are you going to bring judgment on these nations that have caused your people trouble? And there's something that I want you to see that happens. Verse 13, and the Lord answered the angel that talked with me. Do you see how there's two different angels? The angel of the Lord. And then there's this angel that talked with me. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Now keep your place here. Go to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 and verse 6, Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Do you see that? He calls it my holy hill of Zion. God cares about that spot. So not only does God care about the holy land, but he cares about a particular spot in Israel and a particular spot in Jerusalem. And that spot is his holy hill, his holy hill of Zion. That holy hill of Zion is mentioned 38 times in the Psalms. God loves that spot. So I go back to Zechariah with me, and I want you to notice something that's happening in this text. In verse 14, middle of the verse, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. In the book of Zechariah, until we get to the end of chapter 13, God is not talking about Israel as his people. He's talking about Israel as a place. Do you see that distinction here? He says, for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. Now look at verse 15. And that's really important that you see that he's talking about the land here. Verse 15, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Notice what it says in verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro in the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Now, that that might sound good to us, but it's not good. 
This is a problem because all of these nations are at rest while Israel is in captivity, while the walls are torn down, while the city is barren. That's not a good thing. God, then the Lord Jesus Christ asked the Father, how long are you going to let these nations be at ease while your people are in trouble? Now remember, don't forget about the time frame. We are in the times of the Gentiles. That is, when the, the Israel was carried away in the Babylonian captivity, 606 B.C., from that point on until today, the Jews in the world are under the authority of other kings. Gentile kings. Gentile rulers. That is the times of the Gentiles. We're not going to take the time to go there, but in Luke chapter 21, I think it's verse 24, Jesus talks about how Israel will be trodden down until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trodden down until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So this is the times of the Gentiles. Jesus is asking, how long is this going to happen? And the Father starts to give the answer in these passages. Really interesting. So verse 15 again, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. They're not supposed to be at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. What are we talking about here? Let me read on. I want to read to the end of the chapter. You can see the vision, and then we're going to break it down, and I think you're going to learn some stuff today. Therefore, Verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem. What is that next word? With mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Verse 18. This is the beginning of the next vision. Then lifted I up mine eyes, and saw, and behold, four horns... And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? And so you'll see a, a consistent pattern in these visions. What you'll see is the expression of the vision. And then Zechariah asks, what does it mean? And then the angel that talks with him gives him the explanation of the vision. All right. So you'll see that verse 18 again. Then lifted up mine eyes and saw and behold four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what be these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord, now remember, they have not scattered, uh, the, the, this is the people that have been scattered. The land is still there. All right? Look at verse 20. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spake, saying, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. Okay, so you've got these horns, these carpenters, this horn, all of this stuff. We're going to explain that today, and it's God's giving us just some amazing information here. So what I want to do is I want you to see a couple of things that are happening. First of all, the Bible says they helped forward the affliction. They helped forward the affliction. Do you see that at the end of verse 15? Verse 15 says, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Sometimes people, some commentators have looked at this uh, prophecy, this vision of the horns, and they say that there are four horns. They see that there are four horns. In Daniel chapter 2, we are given four kingdoms of the Gentiles that will rule the world. So sometimes people make a connection between these four horns and those four Gentile kingdoms. But there's a problem with that. So let me, let me back up for a little bit. God wants us, what's going, wants us to know what's going to happen in the end times. God wants us to know that He has a plan. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, that there are three people groups that God deals with in the Bible. It says, give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. So three people groups, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. In the church, we're neither Jew nor Gentile, we're sons of God. Okay? So you have the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. From Adam all the way through Abraham, everybody was a Gentile. From Abraham through the establishing of the church, everyone was either a Jew or a Gentile. Now, from Adam until the end of time, you have three people groups, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. 
And God addresses different material in the Bible to each of these three groups. God wants each of those groups to know what is going to happen in the end times. So he gave an entire book of the Bible to each of those three groups to tell them what's going to happen in the end times. To the Jews, he gave the book of Ezekiel. To the Gentiles, he gave the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel even has a chapter written by a Gentile king in the language of the Gentiles, which was Aramaic. So most of the book is in Hebrew, but there's a portion of it that's written in Aramaic by a Gentile king. So Ezekiel to the Jews, Daniel to the Gentiles, and the book of Revelation to the church of God. All right? So if we put all of those books, Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, you put them together, you'll have a complete understanding of God's design for the entire world. What we have in the book of Zechariah is a combination of all of that. One of the interesting things about the book of Zechariah is that it is an open book. It's not sealed. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, it says, seal this prophecy until the times be fulfilled. And what's interesting is if you looked, if you were living in the time of Daniel and you read the book of Daniel, you wouldn't have the understanding of that book that we have now. Because with all of the fulfillment of the prophecy that's taken place from the book of Daniel, we can look back at it and say, oh, that's what that means. That book is being unsealed. The book of Revelation, let me see if I can find this. Go to the book of Revelation with me. I believe it's in chapter 22. All right, let's look at verse 10. And he saith unto me, look at those next two words, read them out loud for me. Seal not. Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So Daniel was a sealed prophecy. Revelation is an unsealed prophecy. Go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, it's interesting, in, in chapters 2 and 3, you'll have to the angel of the church, and people say that that's the pastor. Do you think it's a pastor that's being spoken of right here? No. What is it? It's an angel. Do you know how I know it's an angel? Because it says it's an angel. And I know a lot of pastors, and none of them are angels. Okay? Verse 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all, the th and of all things that he saw. Now, verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The time is at hand. What does that mean? That all of these prophecies could have been fulfilled as soon as John wrote them. This is why we believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that has to happen before Jesus Christ can come back. All right? There, are, there were no prophecies that had to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ could come back. Now what happens is we look back over time and we see many prophecies that have been fulfilled before Christ's return, but none of them had to be fulfilled before He could establish His kingdom. So it's really important that you see this is an open book and then we're promised a specific blessing for reading this prophecy and keeping the things that are written in it. That's why it's so interesting that people call it a closed book. They say you can't understand the book of Revelation. That's the lie of the devil. If you'll just cross-reference it, you can understand the book of Revelation. The reason people don't understand the book of Revelation is because there are 800 quotations from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. People don't understand the prophecies of the Old Testament, so they can't understand the prophecy of the book of Revelation. It's really important that we see that. So God gave us, for the three people groups, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God, for the Jew, the book of Ezekiel, for the Gentile, the book of Daniel, and for us, the book of Revelation. And then all of the other prophets head toward this, uh, giving us the information about this, and we're going to see some more of that in a minute. Back to Zechariah. Y'all with me so far? If you're not, I'll start over. All right. So he says in verse 15, I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, 
for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So what I started to tell you was that you have these four horns, and then you have the four nations identified in Daniel chapter 2. Remember, the king had this vision of this image, this, this statue. And the Bible says that Daniel gave him the interpretation of four kingdoms. And it's actually five kingdoms, uh, and I'll explain that. So you have the first kingdom was Babylon, and then they would be overthrown or conquered by Persia. And then Persia would be conquered or overthrown by Greece, and then Greece would be overthrown by Rome. And then Rome has never really been conquered. It was divided into two, and what we have at the end of the, the times of the Gentiles is the revived Roman Empire, which will be mystery Babylon that's given to us in Revelation chapter 17, that revived Roman Empire. So you have these four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Now, look at Zechariah chapter, uh, chapter 1 and look at verse 19. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. That can't be those four horns of Daniel, I'm sorry, those four kingdoms of Daniel, because Persia never scattered Israel. As a matter of fact, they gathered them together and put them back in the land. Greece never scattered Israel. Rome did many times. And so two of these nations, Babylon and Rome, are under this condemnation. Persia and Greece are not under that condemnation. And as a matter of fact, the first nation to scatter Israel was Assyria. And Assyria is not one of those four kingdoms identified in Daniel chapter 2. So we have to be careful that, that we identify what is being spoken of biblically and not from uh, what someone else might say about the text. The other thing that I want you to see about this is when it talks about Rome scattering the nation, it's really important that we get this. So, of course, we understand that Herod the Great was horrible to Israel, right? He killed all the children under a certain age. That's when Jesus Christ and his parents went down to Egypt. Remember? Israel, Rome was terrible. By the time we get to 49 A.D., Claudius Caesar, he was, he was insane. He, he was literally nuts. And he banished all the Jews from Jerusalem. And it was terrible. And then when, by the time you get to 66 A.D., from 66 until 70, you have the, the Jewish-Roman War. And Vespasian, who became emperor following uh, Nero, Nero died, and there were three emperors in a short period of time, less than a year. Then Vespasian leaves the war in Jerusalem, leaves his son Titus in charge. And on August 30th, 70 A.D., Titus destroys the temple and leaves Jerusalem as a pile of rubble. And so by the time John is writing the book of Revelation, the people there are living in rubble. Remember, the Apostle Paul took uh, an offering for the poor Jews, Christians, Christian Jews that are living in Jerusalem, because they were under terrible torment because of Rome. Rome is scattering the people. It moves ahead. You move to Hadrian, around 130. Hadrian says, I'm going to build Jerusalem back up for the Jews. He goes there and changes his mind. And he finds the place that he thinks where Jesus Christ was crucified. And he builds a temple there to Jupiter. And then on the Temple Mount, he builds, because remember they destroyed the temple. On the Temple Mount, he built a temple to Apollo. And he changed the name of that area to Jupiter Capitolina. And then he changed it to Palestina, and that's where, the, that's where the name Palestine comes from, from Hadrian's persecution. And the reason that he used the name Palestine was because it was the same word as the Philistines. And it was an insult to the Jews. And so all through time, Rome has continued to persecute Israel, pers persecute the Jews. Move ahead, 15, or 1492. Let me show you. What happened in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But look at what Columbus said. This is from Columbus's diary. In the same month in which their majesties, Ferdinand and Isabella, 
issued the edict that all Jews should be driven out of the kingdom and its territories, in the same month they gave me the order to undertake with sufficient men my expedition of discovery to the Indies. And this is the beginning of Columbus's diary. So Columbus himself identifies that Ferdinand and Isabella, the king and queen of Spain, were ejecting all of the Jews. And this began what was called the pogroms. And then it heads into the Spanish Inquisition. And they would torture people because they were Jews. This is, again, under the Roman Catholic government. This is Rome scattering the Jews. Do you see that? Well, then in or in 1516, in Venice, which is one of the Roman states, Roman Catholic pontifical states, in Venice, they had a, a particular little enclave that had two bridges. So on March 29, 1516, they destroyed one of the bridges, so there's only one way on and off. And that's where they put all of the Jews, and they called it the ghetto. So that word ghetto originated in 1516, and the Jews, they could come to work in the city, but by sundown they had to be back on that island over that one bridge, and they were kept there. Again, Rome persecuting the Jews and the horrible things. So 1517, you have the Protestant Reformation, and they think there's going to be freedom. But Luther hated the Jews. He wrote a book called The Jews and Their Lies. He hated the Jews, and so they would have passion plays. And at the end of the passion play, the, these people would come out, and the verse, the verse that they would use, it says, let, let um, his judgment be on our heads and on our children's heads. And so they'd go out and find Jews and kill them. This took place under the Catholic rule and under the Catholic stepchildren, the Protestants, and they scattered the Jews all over the world until finally in one place, in a place called Rhode Island in the United States of America, they finally had freedom. And Roman, in Genesis chapter 12 says, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And God has blessed the United States of America in a very special way because of the way that the United States has protected Jews from our founding. It's really important that we get this. So the reason that we're blessed and all these other nations have gone down, let me ask you a question. How's Italy doing? Not good. Not good. All of these nations, how's Spain doing? Remember you have the pig nations in the, the uh, European Union? Portugal, Italy, Spain, and Greece. What do they all have in common? Other than Greece, where you have the Orthodox Church, the others have all been under that Roman Catholic rule and have been anti-Semitic, and God is judging them because of the way that they've treated Israel. You can see that all through history, and that will continue. Um, all right, so you see that progress. What they're doing here is, verse 15, I'm very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. So what are they doing? These, these people have helped forward the affliction of Israel, and what God is going to do is He's going to judge these nations. All right, verse 16. He says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My city through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Do you see it says shall yet? It hasn't happened yet. So what was probably happening when I said that, that the Jews in the times of the Gentiles are still under the reign of Gentile kings, I guarantee you somebody was thinking, well, now they've got their own country now. But they don't. Let me show you something. So this is a map of the Middle East. Do you see this little section right here? I'm sorry, right here? That's Israel right now. So 1917, you have the Balfour Declaration. Lord Balfour helps the people go back into the land. 1948, 1949, they're established as a nation. And, but this is their borders. Do you see all of this? This is the actual border of the Holy Land. So what do we have? We're up here to Mount Ararat in Turkey. It goes all the way over to Cyprus. You see this? And do you see what's in between there? Lebanon, Syria... Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Cairo and Egypt. All of this is the Holy Land. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think there might be a war 
if Israel tried to take all that back? All right, so look, math question. All right, some of you are saying, I didn't know there was going to be a test. Okay, math question. Here we go. The red line, is that larger or smaller than this brown piece? Some of you don't know. I'm really worried about you. <laughs> they say that fluoride dumbs people down. Some of you are double dosing on the fluoride. Okay? Look. You see all this? This is the land. But just a simple question. Are they in the land yet? No. So what is God going to do? Zechariah, look at verse, chapter 1, verse 17. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. See, this hasn't happened yet because we're still in the times of the Gentiles. It is going to happen. So now, let's get an understanding of this prophecy and we'll be done for the day. I want you to see something. This word horn, when you see that word horn in your Bible, it's defined for us in Jeremiah 48:25. I've got it for you here on the screen. The horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, saith the Lord. So the horn is the authority, and the arm is the strength or the power of it, all right? So a horn is power. It's a ruler. It's the strength. The horn identifies the strength of the people. You know, the Vikings understood this. You see their helmets. They got the horns on their helmets. The Indian shamans, the American Indian shamans, they would have horns. And you see that all through the Bible. So what this is speaking of is power. But who are these four kingdoms? Or, I'm sorry, these four horns. And who are these four carpenters? I want you to understand the way that God uses the number four in the book of Zechariah. And it's pretty interesting. Uh, look how often this number four. Now, how many of you know the number seven is relevant in the Bible? Number four is also very relevant. I want you to see what it means. All right? So there are four horses, four horns, four craftsmen, four chariots. Four winds, four words of comfort, four persons, four feast days, four admonitions, fourfold guilt, four pronouncements, fourfold punishment, four cities, four verbs in 915. Groups of four things in chapter 10 and verse 2, four lamentations, four animals. How about this? Four times two, eight visions that lead the book. So what they have in the book of Zechariah are all these combinations of four. So what is this talking about? The number four in the Bible is a number of completion on the earth. So in the book of Revelation, you have the, the four angels standing on the four corners of the earth controlling the four winds. Now, how many of you recognize there are more than four winds in the world? So the Bible uses that number four as all of it. It's the completeness of it. So when the Bible is talking in verse, in, in chapter 18, so we're back in Zechariah 1, then verse 18, Then lifted I up mine eyes, and behold, four horns. And I said unto me, angel, uh, I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered me, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. They've scattered them. Look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 30. All right, hold your place in Jeremiah 30 and go to Matthew 25. I want to demonstrate to you that it's talking about all of the nations that have scattered Israel. All right, Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, okay, that's not the rapture. This is when He comes to the earth after the seven-year tribulation period in glory. Everyone can see Him, all right? When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered, what are those next two words? All nations, all right? And what are they going to be judged for? And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall, th shall set the sheep 
on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me wheat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in, naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came to me. Then shall the righteous, and this is the, this is the righteous nations, understand, that's what he's talking to. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Who are his brethren? The Jews. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Right? So the Jews, he came to his brethren. So this is all about how these nations have treated Israel during the tribulation. That's what the judgment of the nations is. So these four horns, that four is completeness, and it's dealing with all the nations that have scattered Israel. Jeremiah chapter 30. Look at verse 11. All right, I'll look at verse 10. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Now remember, in Zechariah chapter 1, when Israel's in that low place, in, among the myrtles, in that low place, Jesus is with them. Remember, that writer is among the myrtles. He's among them during their low place. He is still among them during their low place. Verse, so verse 11 again, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of... What's it say? All nations... Whither I have scattered thee, yet I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. You know, there are anti-Semitic groups that talk about the lost, the ten lost tribes of Israel. They're not lost, they're scattered. Is there a difference between lost and scattered? All right, so it's really important that we get this. God says, I'm not going to destroy you. I'm going to correct you. I'm not going to ultimately destroy you. I'm going to correct you. Look at chapter 50, Jeremiah chapter 50. Look at verse 17. I've got to go faster here. Jeremiah 50 and verse 17. All right, the Bible says, Israel is a scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria hath devoured him. And last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, hath broken his bones. All right? So Israel, they're scattered. They're a scattered people. They're under the times and rule of the Gentiles. Go back to Zechariah chapter 1. So these, all of these Gentile nations that have scattered their horns, right? they're, they're, through their horns, through their power, they've scattered God's people. Now look at verse 20. What's God going to do about it? And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, what come these to do? And he spake, saying, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head, but these, that's the carpenters, but these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. All right? So, let's look at what this is talking about. Let me explain something that happens here. So, notice what it says in the middle of verse 21, but these are come to fray them to cast out the horns of the Gentiles. When we think of fraying, we think of, you know, your tie fraying at the bottom or your, your pants fraying at the bottom because you young people don't pull them up. Okay, that's what we think of with fray. That's not what this is talking about. Another use of fray is when, when a deer will rub his antlers to get the, the velvet off of the antlers or to, to mark his territory. And ultimately what they do when they fray their antlers is they 
remove them. This is how specific the Bible is. What is God going to do? He's going to remove the horns of their power. That's what that word fray is talking about there. He's going to remove the horns. He's going to remove their ability to punish or to scatter Israel anymore. And remember this, that number four, that's God is going to use everything in His capacity to do this. And then He identifies four specific things. But notice, I want you to see this. It's really fun. So it's four carpenters destroying the four horns. Is that right? But remember that number four is an all-encompassing number, a completeness. Hold your place here in Zechariah. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In what? In his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Jesus did. He spoiled those principalities and powers. So spiritually, Jesus has already won the war. Is that right? He's already won it. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We're overcomers through him that loves us. Right? That battle is over, isn't it? But he hasn't restored Israel yet. That's yet to come. So for us, He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Is that right? Go to John. I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6. Verse 1. And He went out from thence, Mark 6, verse 1. And He went out from thence... And came into his own country, Nazareth, came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Would you read those next few words for me? Is not this the carpenter? How is God going to take away the power, these horns, from the people that have scattered Israel? Through the carpenter, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's coming back to do it. He's the one. Remember, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. But He's coming back. He wanted to gather Jerusalem under His wings as a hen does her chicks but they would not. He would have been their carpenter right here, but they rejected him. Look at what it says in verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. He just left. Look at what it says in verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. He wanted to do a great work, but he couldn't because they didn't have faith. They didn't believe in him. So he just left. And do you know who he came to eventually? You and me. He came to us, the Gentiles. Go back to Zechariah. Look at chapter 1, verse 21. Then said I, what are these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. So what's going on here? What's going to happen? I want you to get two passages. I want you to get Ezekiel chapter 34, and I want you to get Acts chapter 15. Ezekiel 34. 
Isn't this fun? Ezekiel 34. And Acts chapter 15. All right. So Ezekiel 34, look at verse 20 with me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle. Remember the vision of the fat cattle and the lean cattle in the, in the chapter. Because ye have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till ye have scattered them abroad. Therefore will I save my flock and they shall no more be a prey. And I will judge between cattle and cattle and I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I will make with them a covenant of peace. And I will cause, look at this, the evil beasts to cease out of the land. And they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing and will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. Why? Because the rain's dried up. It's a horrible time in the tribulation. God's going to take care of them. All of those, those horns that have scattered his people, he's going to deal with it. When is this going to happen? Acts chapter 15 tells us. So this is when the disciples have gotten together because people are trying to mix Judaism and the law with the gospel and they come to settle that. Acts 15, verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first, you see the time word? The first, did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. That's us. We're the church of Christ. We're the church of God. All right? Verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. What are those first two words right there? I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up after this. After what? After God takes out of the Gentiles a people... For his name. Is that awesome? Okay, look at Revelation chapter 4. Look at, let's make it chapter 3, verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the what? The churches. Okay, first two words of chapter 4. What are they? After this. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 is the entire history of the church age. All right? Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In the book of Revelation, from the end of chapter 3 through the end of the book, the church isn't mentioned anymore. It's what God is dealing... It's God dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles on the earth while he's doing the judgment seat of Christ for the church in heaven and the marriage with the Lamb in heaven. Then at the end of the tribulation, he comes back to earth and has the marriage supper of the Lamb where he brings his bride with him, not his espoused, which is what we are now. We're espoused to him. We're married at the end of the tribulation to Christ in heaven. We come back to earth and the guests are those sheep nations who are coming through the judgment of the nations. They're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That takes place all there after the church age. After this. After this. That's where it takes place. And I want you to see something. Go to Acts chapter 3.
Look at verse 19. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. This is Stephen. I'm sorry, this is Peter preaching to the Jews on Pentecost. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. I love this. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. When the times of refreshing. Because the world's been judged in the tribulation. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive. The heaven must receive. When did that take place? That's his ascension. Why stand you gazing into, what's it say? Heaven. Okay. Whom the heaven must receive. Is there a time word here? Until the times of restitution of all things. What is that? That's when God spreads His line on Jerusalem and He rebuilds His cities and He comes to dwell in them. We get that in Zechariah chapter 1. All right? Verse 21 here again. Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of... Look at this. All His holy prophets since the world began. The holy prophets didn't know anything about the church. That wasn't revealed unto the Apostle Paul. Read Ephesians chapter 3. They didn't know anything about it. That was a mystery which was hid. They didn't know anything about it, but they did know that Jesus Christ was going to come and establish His kingdom on the earth and restore everything to the way it's supposed to be. All right? Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto your fathers... A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Look at verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. Now notice something that's special. Not those days. Those days is the tribulation. These days, that's the days when Jesus Christ brings refreshing to the land. He comes back. Now, go with me to Ezekiel 34. We read that, okay? We saw the Acts chapter 15. Go with me to Ezekiel. I want, to see, I want you to see how he accomplishes this. Ezekiel chapter 14. And we're almost done. Ezekiel chapter 14. This is one of those messages that's difficult. Where could I stop it? Right here, you know? So we're just going to power through and see if we can learn something. All right? Ezekiel chapter 14. And look at verse 19. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood... So would you mark those two words, in blood? Would you mark that? In blood. Pretty interesting how specific the Bible is. To cut off man from it and beast. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. So remember what happened. Job delivered his children. Now, Satan took them, Satan killed them, but they were in the presence of God. He had sacrificed for them. He had delivered his children. Then God gave them the same, him, the same number of children again. It's interesting. Um, Noah delivered his four sons and his wives, their wives. Three sons. <laughs> Whatever. He delivered them. Daniel delivered a whole nation. What's God saying here? Now it's the time of individual accountability. Individual accountability. Through their righteousness, they can save their own souls, but they can't save anyone else. Now look at what it says. Verse 21. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my... Look at Four. Sore. Judgments upon Jerusalem. What do we got? The four carpenters. My four sore judgments upon Jerusalem. What are they? The sword. 
and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. That's what he's going to do. Then look what it says in verse 22. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth. So we see that at the end of Zechariah chapter 13, he brings two parts through the fire and cuts them off, but one part is delivered. So that remnant is that one-third that's delivered. But those four judgments, look at Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 17. Ezekiel 5 and verse 17. So I will send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee, and I will bring a sword upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. There's the four horns right there. And it's interesting. Notice how the fifth one is the blood. No, the pestilence is in the blood. It's in the blood. How many of you have heard that antibiotics are not as effective as they used to be? You all know that? There's going to come a time when there's going to be these diseases that cannot be eradicated. When's that going to happen? Revelation chapter 6. Let's see if this sounds anything like what we just read. Revelation chapter 6. After this, after this, that's what it said in Acts 15 and in Revelation chapter 4. All right, so this is Revelation chapter 6, and we have the four horsemen. All right, the first one is peace and then war and all of these things that happen. All right, so look at verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. See the first carpenter? And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. But see, thou hurt not the oil and wine. So what that means is you can only buy a measure of wheat for a full day's work. You can only buy three measures of barley for a full day's work. That's not enough to eat. That's not enough to live on. So the first is a sword. The second you see here is famine. Verse 7, When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, that's the pestilence in the blood, and with the beasts of the earth. Do you see how consistent the Bible is? Zechariah chapter 1. Verse 20, And the Lord showed me four carpenters, then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. So what are we supposed to learn from this? What can we learn? First of all, that God's word is true. It's amazing when you put all of this together. God's word is true. You can trust it. Next, what he says, he will do. If God says he's going to do something, he will do it. If it looks like that's not going to happen, believe God. Believe God. It's amazing how many people change what they believe about prophecy because it hasn't happened yet. Do you know what? You don't get to determine the time. God does. Right? Next, what he says about Israel will come to pass. So what does that mean? We're supposed to pray for the peace of Israel. Do they do everything right? No, they actually don't like Christians very much there. That's okay. I'll bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. It's interesting. They don't like Christians very much. Look at Romans chapter 11. What's the Bible say about the Jews? Look at verse 25. For I would not, Romans eleven twenty-five. for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Right? The after this, right? And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, they shall come forth out of Zion, the deliverer. Where is that coming out of Zion? This holy hill? The deliverer. Jesus Christ will step foot on Mount Zion. And shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Now look at this. As concerning the gospel... They are friends. What's your Bible say? 
What's it say? Enemies for your sakes. But it's touching the election. They are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God's not changing His mind about what He's going to do with Israel. What He says about Israel will come to pass. They're enemies of the gospel right now. But they're still God's people. We're to love them. We're to pray for them. Lastly, what He says about me will come to pass. It's interesting. Look at Acts chapter 17. All right, look at verse 29. For as much then, <clears throat> Acts 17, 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead, that's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, that word's used three times in your Bible, that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, or stone graven by art and men's device. You can't build a God. A lot of people try to build their own God, don't they? Try to make Jesus something He's not. Verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Do you see what it says? But now. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. What do we learn? We learn that what He says about me will come to pass. What the Bible says about me is it's time to repent. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you're living in the times of the Gentiles right now. Either you're going to die and face God, or Jesus Christ is going to return and you're going to face God. Either way, one way or another you are going to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that because He was crucified, because He gave Himself, He was obedient unto death. It says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted Him, and given Him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father, both of things in heaven and in earth and things under the earth. People in heaven are going to bow. People on earth are going to bow. Those in hell are going to bow. Everyone's going to bow before Him. It's better to do it willingly. It's better to bow before Him as your Lord and Savior and to say, Lord, thank You for coming to the Gentiles. Thank You for coming to me. Thank You for giving us this opportunity to know You as Lord and Savior. And we need to realize He is coming back to settle things with Israel. Before He does that, He's going to take all of those who are saved away. And if you're here today and you're not saved, when He comes back to deal with Israel, you will not have the capacity to believe. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, that's the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's when he comes in glory, right? That we saw in Matthew 25. Even him whose working is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now look at, why do they perish? This is all those who are left behind after Jesus Christ takes the Christians out. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they, see the past tense, received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Why? that they all might be damned who, look at this past tense, believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Look, there's going to come a time when Jesus Christ returns. 
If you're here, this is your last chance to believe. Now is the time of repentance. Now is the time of repentance. If Jesus Christ returns, we'll be gone. And you'll be here. And you might be thinking, well, I'll believe then. No, no, no. God's going to send strong delusion that you'll believe a lie because you believed. You received not the truth. You believed not because you didn't love the truth. Now is your time. You can see from the Bible, supernaturally, over thousands of years this was written, and God has interlaced it all with everything that we're seeing around us. God's Word is true. Everything He says about Israel is true. And everything He says about you and me is true. And when God says, now is the time of repentance, that's for you and me. I'm so thankful that when I was 15 years old, I asked Jesus Christ to save me. And now I am past from death unto life. I like that. That's past tense too, isn't it? I am past. It's happened. I'm saved. I am in the family of God. I am in the body of Christ. And there's no getting out. When the body of Christ is taken out at the rapture, those of you that are left, the Bible says you're going to perish because you believe not the truth. You receive not the truth. What do we take from this? You can believe the Bible. What God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. What God says to Israel, it's going to come to pass. And what God says about you and me, it's going to come to pass. Isn't it wonderful that God has given us this book of Zechariah? Let's all stand together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it.